Welcome to the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm Ben Anderson. I'm Chandler Holtz. As always, we record this on Tuesdays. You can find it at kslsports.com. And wherever you find your podcast, we appreciate you subscribing. What we'd like to do is look at the last week for the Utah Jazz, preview the upcoming week, talk about any uh, big pieces of news that have happened with the Jazz in the current time frame, last week, what's coming up, et cetera, et cetera. We will give our uh, weekly grades for the Jazz. And then, of course, answer your mailbag, which is my favorite part of the podcast. We do that at the end. I appreciate you sticking around for that. Uh, and as always, you can find us uh, on Twitter at KSL Sports. Find me at Ben's Hoops. Find uh, Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. All right, Chandler, ugly week for the Utah Jazz from a wins and losses standpoint. Losses. You expect with this roster, but the types of losses were quite brutal. Oh, yeah, it was a really bad week for the Jazz. Uh, this whole year we've talked about, uh, like, after the Portland game and some of the other ones, like, oh, maybe that was the worst loss of the season. And you can look at the Mavericks loss, maybe say the same thing, even though the Jazz were expected to lose. But I don't think there's much of a debate that this was the worst week for the Jazz. 0-3, oh, so lost by 50 to the Mavericks. <laughs> 50, lost by 14 to the Clippers. And, again, that was bigger than that most yes. of the game. And then same thing last night. They were down 38 to the Thunder, bounce back and outscore him by 20 in the fourth quarter and only end up losing by 14, but it was never a close game. Yeah, only lose by 14, right? Um, earlier in the season, I said that it appeared the Jazz were going to make the opposing team's best player beat them, and it worked uh, early on in the first win of the season for L.A. Both Kawhi and PG played well, but the Jazz got the win. Um but it worked against the Jazz last week. I mean, Luka had a 40-point triple-double. Kawhi dropped 41 on crazy efficiency. And then uh, Shea didn't give the Jazz a break with 30 points, 7 assists, 3 steals. And didn't have to play the fourth quarter at yeah. all. So, yeah, they have, uh, they've been out-superstarred recently. And the Jazz have been playing without their closest thing to a superstar in Lowry Mark. And however good you think he is, uh, he's been out of the lineup now for, what, eight games, two and a half weeks. And we'll see when he comes back. They're doesn't seem to be any urgency to push him back in the lineup with the hamstring. Yes. And they're not trying to make the playoffs. No. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest story to emerge, I think, over this last week is while Will Hardy and the Jazz would say, hey, if everything goes right and we can fix this and, you know, make up these eight games that they are below 500, maybe you try and make a run to the playoffs still. But that's realistically not going to happen, not with the teams in front of them. And you start to shift your attention more to a rebuild, which means Lowry, take as much time as you need to get that hamstring right much better to have you at 100% and lose games in the meantime than rush you back just to try and put a Band-Aid on bleeding that will, is not going to stop this year. Yeah, that was a big conversation for us last week. We were, we were uh, talking about if the Jazz can make the playoffs, and we pointed out some of the good things about uh, the team stats for the Jazz. But the biggest thing was they're only two and a half games out of the postseason picture, right? They were two and a half games out of that 10 seed. But in 0-3 week, now they're five and a half games out of the 10 seed, so it's not looking very good. And how close are they to the 14th seed in the West right now? Because what are they, 12th? Yeah, right now they're 12th at 7 and 16. Portland is 14th at 6 and 16. Um, so they're a half a game. Half, right. So you're, what did you say? How many games back of the 10th seed? Five and a half. Five and a half and a half game out of the 14th seed? Yes. Like, what, where are you going to be? Obviously, yep. you're going to go to the 14th seed. Yes. I mean, most likely, considering John Moran's going to come back, Portland's probably going to get better this year unless they trade Anthony Simons and some of their young pieces that are able to help them win. Shaden Sharp's been okay this season as well. So, yeah. Far more likely, I think the Jazz end up with the second-worst record in the West than it is that they compete for a play-in tournament spot. Yeah, and uh, you you mentioned uh, Memphis and John Morant. Uh, right now, they're 13th in between the Jazz and Portland, and John Morant is eligible to return in one week. One week from today, they play the Pelicans on Tuesday, and that is the Grizzlies' 26th game of the season, so he'll be eligible to return. Yeah, it's uh, and we're going to see him, uh, so that'll be interesting to watch. It'll be... Uh how long? I mean, it, it's already they're already knocking on the door of overtaking the Jazz. I thought yeah. maybe the Jazz would have a three or a four game 
you know, breathing room uh, or, or room to, to breathe to, to not be overtaken by Memphis, and it's not even going to be that. It's going to be a half game. Yes. So they will overtake them by the second game. John Morant's <laughs> on the floor. Uh, so... I mean, that's that's where the Jazz are. The yeah. Jazz are headed for a top 10 pick, and since you didn't get a top 10 or you didn't get a top 5 pick last year, you had number 9, maybe you go for top 5 this year, and I know everyone says, oh, it's not a good draft, it's not a good draft. I don't. I actually don't even know what that means. Like, I get it. There's no Victor Wembanyama at the top of this draft, but, like, so draft well and find a good player. Yes. You, you can do it. Teams do it. There are bad drafts, and good players come out of bad drafts, and Jazz will be tasked with doing that. It's difficult, but it's been done before, and that's going to be uh, what they have to deal with. All right, what do we have coming up this week? Yeah, so this week, the Jazz will play the Knicks um, at home on Wednesday, and that will be 80s Decade Night. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, and then they'll be in Portland uh, the day after, a back-to-back on Thursday, in Sacramento on Saturday, and then they're going to host the Brooklyn Nets on Monday. Knicks are going to be tough. They are yes. without Mitchell Robinson, but Knicks are a pretty good basketball team. Julius Randle's starting to hit his stride a little bit and is playing well. Uh, and so the Knicks are trying to figure it out a little bit, but again, they're a little hurt. But that I wouldn't expect that to be a Jazz win, in all honesty. And then second night of a back-to-back, you play in Portland. I just The Jazz have already shown they can't win in Portland. They're 1-1 yep. one and one there. Their last time they were down by 32 points in the fourth quarter. I would not expect them to win that game. Sacramento's really good, so you're not going to win in Sacramento. And then you've got to host the Nets, yep. who aren't great, but uh, are capable of beating you. What, 1-3? and three? Is that our prediction for the week? Yeah, I think 1-3 and three is reasonable. You can look at the Nets have a 4-5 and five road record, and the Jazz are better at home, so maybe you could sneak out a win there. And then with the Knicks, they're 6-6 six and six at home, but I think that of the two home games, you're more likely to beat New York. Okay. But I'd say in all honesty, of course, the most likely win of the week is Portland. 1-3, um, and three, maybe 2-2, two and two, coming off of an 0-3 week, especially if you can see Larry Mark and then come back to the lineup, but... Who knows? Also, the Jazz are truly the worst road team in the NBA. Yes. They are 1-11. Only one team has more road losses than they do. That's the Washington Wizards, but the Wizards also have twice as many wins as the Jazz do because <laughs> they have two, and the Jazz have one. The Jazz also have by far the worst net rating on the road in the NBA. Uh, they are outscored by 18 points per 100 possessions. Not even the Spurs, who are 2-9 and nine on the road, are that bad. The Pistons, who are 1-10 and 10 and have lost 19 games in a row, only get outscored by 11 on the road. Jazz get yeah. outscored by 18. Like, they are so bad on the road, it's crazy. Right now, they're on pace for somewhere around, like, a 4-37 and 37 road record. I yep. mean, that's pretty unreasonable to expect it to actually fall that way. But like we said last week, if you want to be a good basketball team, if you have postseason aspirations, you need to win games on the road. Yeah, and uh, they aren't. Yes. So they have found themselves so deep behind the eight ball now that they probably won't have a chance to dig themselves out of this hole. And then you really just shift your attention away from winning games yes to developing young players exclusively and trying to lose games so you get that higher draft pick and then guess what next year's about developing young players again and you're probably losing again and you're trying to get a top 10 pick in the cooper flag draft and that's realistically where the jazz are and it's going to be painful for a while but uh jazz fans we hope you stick with us because we will uh, walk you through it and there will be a light at the end of the tunnel yes this is the painful part this is the work and you hope that there's some payoff at the other end All right, really quick, we can touch on some weekly news. We mentioned this a second ago. On Wednesday, when the New York Knicks are in town, the Jazz will be having its 80s decade night. Uh, Do you remember what game the 70s decade night was? New Orleans. New Orleans, okay. I think it was the first New Orleans game. I think they played them on a Friday or on a, what, a Thursday and a Saturday, or maybe it was a Friday and a Sunday. And uh, I think it was the first Pelicans game. Okay. And it was fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, It was pretty cool. They uh, had some of the, the former players come in. Now, actually, they didn't. Make us. They didn't make those players available. It was uh, like Truck Robinson was here, and we mm-hmm. didn't get to talk to him. Actually, today, after we record this, I'm going to run over and talk to Daryl Griffith, Ricky Green, and Jeff Wilkins, all of whom 
were on our uh, Jazz 50, top 50 players of all time list that we voted on in the offseason. Daryl Griffith came at 11, Ricky Green 16, and Jeff Wilkins number 40. So cool to actually see those guys in person after we did this uh, this big exercise in the summer. Yeah, and it should be fun. You should make sure to tune into that game because they'll be on the call with Daryl Bailey, Holly Rowe. Um, hopefully the Jazz can plot a win over the Knicks. There is unique gear that they sell in the team store, so if you're a uh, gearhead for the Jazz, you've got to have all the different things. They do have some uh, unique items out there if you're going to the game. And I actually think they've done a pretty good job with some of the uh, unique products they've had for these decades' nights. So that will be coming up tomorrow, Wednesday, against the New York Knicks. All right, Chandler, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into our weekly grades. We'll look around the NBA, and we will answer your mailbag questions. Stick around. More Jazz Notes coming up next. Welcome back to the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt. All right, Chandler, let's look into our jazz grades. We like to do this every week. We go with the veterans. We take a look at the young players, the standings, and, of course, the fun factor as well with this basketball team. Have you enjoyed watching them? Uh, let's start with the veteran players over the last three games. Unfortunately, you just like haven't seen some of the veterans. Yeah, uh, Larry Markin's been out. Jordan Clarkson missed a game in there as well. But, man, the veterans that were on the floor were not playing particularly well. No, and even when those veterans that that were out made their appearances last week, it wasn't very pretty. Against OKC, Jordan Clarkson shot 3 for 13, had 8 points. Kelly Link shot 1 for 5, had 2 points. And it wasn't better across the other games either. Jordan Clarkson shot 2 for 9 in the Clippers game. Like, it was a really rough week for the veterans. Larry Markinen missing does not help their grade at all. C minus, D plus? Yeah, at best. I mean, John Collins, maybe the had the brightest moment, which was in the second half of the Jazz's game against the Clippers. He played backup center, really, not for the first time, but really kind of leaned into that role, and I thought was pretty good. Otherwise, he shot 14% from three over the last three games. Yeah, Colin Sexton shot 22% from three. Taylor Horton Tucker's shooting numbers are up, but he's just doing a lot of the spinning into the lane and just kind of throwing the ball at the basket. Certainly, the Jazz aren't winning with him on the floor. Yeah. D plus, yeah. and you're not getting Lowry marketing out there at all. So I, D plus, I think for the veterans, unfortunately, they're just not playing well. Jordan no. Clarkson, particularly, two games over the last three, he's shooting 22 percent from the floor and zero percent from three. He hasn't, he didn't make a three this week. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson, you know, like the scorer, the uh, the go to scoring option with Lowry marketing off the floor, and basically all the veterans were a minus 20 or worse in net rating. Uh, so they were they were quite bad. One of the very few bright spots for the veterans was THT. He didn't have the best week um, against the Clippers. He did have. 15 points, 6 for 11 shooting, 5 assists. I think that's a good game from him. Yeah. Um, and then in the first game against the Mavericks, I mean, not really want to look at a lot from this game, but he shot 3 for 3 from 3, okay. so that's good. But I would say D+. plus. Yeah, D+, plus overall. Chris Dunn, sneaky, had a good week as well. Yeah. Okay. But that's the, <laughs> whatever. All right, let's go to the young players. Uh, you actually just got to see Taylor Hendricks. He played in all three games. Yes. He played 21 minutes a game. He shot 46% from the floor, shot 30% from three. He's getting three three-pointers uh, up per game. He's not a great player right now. I don't think anyone expected him to be a great player right now. Pretty good in the steals category, which I was not expecting to be a big part of his game. He's getting more steals than he has blocks at the moment. But uh, I believe in what he does. I think the things he does are going to translate to the NBA eventually. So I thought that was promising. And then, honestly, Keontae George had a fabulous week. Yes. He was really good. And then Ochai in the first game of the week, he put up 21 points. He led the Jazz in scoring. I thought that was a really good game from him. Yeah, Ochai continued to try to figure it out. 45% from the floor, though, 46% from three. I wrote an article yesterday, Chandler, about Jazz players and their scoring 
averages and their field goal percentage, their effective field goal percentage. The top nine returning players from last year's Jazz roster all average fewer points this year than they did last year. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, Walker Kessler should naturally take a step forward. Ochai should naturally take a step forward. They haven't. The only player who's scoring more that returned from last year's roster is Simone Fontecchio. He's a point higher, but at least to Ochai's credit, he's scoring more efficiently than he did last season. That's a big plus. Basically, other than Kelly Olynyk, everyone's down in their efficiency as well. So it's just been a really bad year. But Ochai, there are some signs that he's figuring some things out. Pure raw production statistically, he's still not great. He still like makes a big impact in the first quarter and then disappears for the final three. I think that's an issue. But in all honesty... The game's about Keontae George yep. right now, and, and Taylor Hendricks getting on the floor at any point is a good sign. But Keontae George this week, 17 points, 7 assists, uh, 3 turnovers a little higher than usual, but his shooting percentages were way up, 43% from the floor, 39% from 3. And he had his first 30-point game yep. ever in his career, which a lot of guys never score 30, and he did it in his like 22nd game of his career. Yeah. So very good. Really a high-level, youngest player ever in Jazz history to score 30 points and uh, record seven assists in the same game. Here's my argument for the young player grade this week. Last week, the Jazz went one and two, so they just picked up one more win, and we gave them a B, and that was only off of one game of Taylor Hendricks. Uh, Keontae George didn't have his best week of his career, and Ochai didn't. I don't think he did much, but he had the 20-point game this week. So I'm going to go with a B plus, a little okay. bit higher than last week. Yeah, I was going to say maybe even an A-. minus. Yeah. I mean, Keontae George was truthfully the Jazz best player over the last week, which... The number 16 overall pick. If he's your best player, even if it means everyone else around him is playing terribly, he's not matching that terrible play around him. And Taylor Hendricks got on the floor and wasn't a net zero. And as you mentioned, you actually saw some okay shooting percentages from uh, Ochai Abaji. So, yeah, B plus, A minus. I think it's right in there. Awesome. Moving on to definitely can predict the worst two uh, grades for us this week. Fun first factor? Up, yeah, fun factor and standings. We can get standings out of the way first. F. <laughs> and you know what? In all honesty, you're to the point where I'm going to start switching and saying you're trying to lose games. Yes. So, like, the worst thing you can do now is be 500 the rest of the season. Yep. So you've either got to win out or you've got to lose out. Obviously not for the rest of the year, but I have no problem with the Jazz losing all their games. Yep. That's part of tanking. So I might say, I might say B. Like, you're not trying to win games. You're trying to get a top five pick. If we want to wait until they get 40 games of the year to switch that, that's fine. I'll, uh, I'll go along with you, F, as yep. far as uh, you went winless. If you're still a Jazz fan hoping to win games... That was a failing grade. Next up, fun factor. Like I said, worst week of the year for the Jazz, debatably. A bunch of blowout losses, and the two that were 14 points were definitely worse than they looked on paper. F, sure. again. F, yeah, yeah. and I, I saw a lot of Jazz fans pulling their hair out on Twitter last night during the game, which I'm surprised by. Like, yeah. I, I get that we can address some of this in the mailbag as well, because I know there's questions about it, but it's like, this is not a team that was ready to compete for a title this no. year. They were really bad the second half of the season last year, and they rested everybody, so you didn't see exactly how bad they were. Maybe there was some mystery because Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton and Lowry Markin were on the floor so rarely together in the second half of the season, but they were not good then either. Mm-hmm. After they traded Mike Conley, they became a very bad basketball team, and they've continued to be a very bad basketball team. That's what they are, and that is by design. They are trying to get top picks and tank to get really good young players for cheap that they can win with in the future. So anyways, yeah, F, that's fine. It yeah. wasn't that fun of a week to watch. No. Certainly from the reaction I got from Jazz fans, they weren't having it. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick look around the NBA, then we can get into the mailbag. Um, Minnesota, they stay in the West top spot. They did lose to the Pelicans last game, but Rudy Gobert, uh, probably still the front runner to get his fourth Defensive Player of the Year award. Carlin um, Towns has been like a good like second option on offense, but I'd say third option overall in, ter- in terms of like impact to the team. 
the Thunder as well. I'd say the two top seeds in the West are kind of a surprise, but they're playing really good as well. Yeah, the uh, Mavericks are on a three-game winning streak as well. They're in the third spot. Nuggets had a nice game last night where Jamal Murray kind of bounced back. I know he had an ankle injury, but but played well. Maybe one of his better games of the season so far. They were really dragging there a little bit. They're five and five in their last ten. Speaking of Denver, uh, and they're only six and eight away from home. So they've had some issues. I just think it's they recognize they got to win in the postseason, and it doesn't matter to them all that much if they win in June. Uh, or excuse me, if they win in December, they want to win in June. Yeah. The big question this week is that. Uh, Bradley Beal comes back for the Phoenix Suns, and the hope was that they were going to get the big three on the floor together. And then this morning it was ruled out that uh, Kevin Durant has an ankle injury and will not be playing. Yeah. At some point, they may just lose too many games together and not have enough time to gel, which was their argument last year that, oh, Kevin Durant, remember, he, he rolled his ankle in pregames and missed like 10 games in a row. And he and Devin Booker only played like eight regular season games. I think they were undefeated in the regular season when they played together. And they're like, well, if they just had more time to gel, it would have allowed them to win the title last season. I disagree, but that was the argument. It's like you're finding yourself in the same spot now. Where yes. These guys are always hurt. If you don't get enough time to actually figure out what your roster is, you're not going to win in the playoffs either. No, absolutely not. And over- the Suns are in the ninth seed in the West right now. Like yeah. They're not even in the guaranteed playoff spot. They would have to They would have to beat the Pelicans in the play-in tournament and then beat one of the Rockets or the Clippers to uh, get the seventh or eighth seed. Like, good luck. You might not... Advance and again, we're really early. They're only three games back of the second seed. I get it. They will. Yeah. They will figure it out. But you waste a lot of time just like trying to get to the point where you're healthy, and it, it it costs you in the long run. Looking at some of the other teams who have made new acquisitions, like the Clippers, and then looking over to the East, the Celtics, right, and the Bucks. It's the 23-24 season for 2023. When you have a new acquisition, that's the time that you want to gel, figure out your offense, figure right. out your defense, learn how to play together. The Suns are going to be doing that to start 2024. And then you only have so much time before the trade deadline, and then the playoffs are right after that. So it makes it a lot harder to make it work. Yeah, they're like Milwaukee knows what their problems are. The, basically, their backcourt is really bad. Other def- certainly defensively. Yeah. So they're going to want to find somebody to replace Malik Beasley, former Jazz man, to play alongside Damian Lillard because those two together can really shoot, but can't defend in the backcourt. And they're going to figure out, okay, what are we willing to move to upgrade that shooting guard position defensively? But they know that because they've had them on the floor together enough times to recognize what their weaknesses are. Phoenix might not have enough time on the floor together to recognize exactly what their weaknesses are and then how to fix them. Yeah. And that's going to be an issue for them. Yeah, definitely. Since last week, the Boston has claimed the top seed in the East. I'd say that's around a where we expect them to be. Definitely top two or three. Orlando is still second in the East, which is a good transition into this. I have a Let's do a quick, We can. We, you don't have to talk a lot about each team, but I have contender or pretender for you. Okay. So go around if you think that this team can make some noise in the playoffs or not. Like, of course, only one team can win the championship. But first up, Orlando. As I said, I'm second seed in the East right now. Pretender. You, pretender. Okay. Very easy. How about Miami? Currently, they're eighth in the East. Contender. Okay. Okay. I like that. They definitely turn it on later in the season. Philadelphia. Lost James Harden, but they're still fourth in the East. Pretender. Okay. Uh, Minnesota. First in the West. Contender. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually believe in Minnesota. I they have a legitimate top ten player in Anthony or in uh, in Anthony Edwards, and then I think the veteran play around him. I would have liked it if if Carl Anthony Towns had more playoff experience. He doesn't have none. Uh, and then Rudy's played a lot of playoff games. Mike Conley's played a lot of playoff games. They're not the favorite, yeah. But they are. There is a world where they do what Denver did last year. Uh, next up, uh, Oklahoma City, second in the West. Pretender. Okay. And then Mavericks, third in the West. Pretender. Okay. But some of those teams are interesting. Yeah. You know, you uh, make a trade at the deadline, and you could you could conceivably flip your odds as being a pretender or a contender. Yes, very I, I think 
Oklahoma City is the team most likely. Maybe Philadelphia that could go from pretender to contender. Miami, they're 13 and 10. They're only 5 and 5 in their last 10. Remember, they did not spend all their draft assets and trade assets this offseason to go get Donovan Mitchell or, you know, yeah. whatever the big names that they've been rumored for over the past two years, 18 months. Uh, so they could still make a big trade out there and try and really upgrade their team. All right. You want to move into the mailbag? Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, first up from Josh Chisholm, uh, what do you think the Jazz end up doing with John Collins? Keep him around, test the market, and see what they can get from? I would think right now, in all honesty, if the Jazz were to trade John Collins, they would probably have to attach a draft pick to him. Yeah. So there's really no reason to trade him at this point. At some point, he will have value just because he's owed $25 million and it's close to expiring. Uh, and I don't think the Jazz have actually gotten the best that they can out of John Collins yet. I think they will be able to find a way to use him in a productive manner that could up his trade value. But I don't predict that John Collins is this five-year long-term piece for the Jazz. It's going to be the difference between them winning a title and not winning a title. He's just kind of a placeholder for salary right now. And he doesn't hurt you. He doesn't help you. He's just kind of there, unfortunately, for John yeah. Collins. You'd wish that if you were a Jazz fan, that would have worked out better. It, it just hasn't. And I'm not sure he's that type of player. Very nice guy. Fun to have in the locker room. Uh, has some highlight real plays. Has some really great games occasionally. Has some games where he doesn't impact at all. Yeah. And I'm looking around the NBA right now. Like, I don't even really know who would be in the market for John Collins, right? I'm like, Indiana, like a lot of teams have that mold of player, right? Indiana has Obi Toppin. Right. Um, Houston has Jabari Smith. Um like maybe like a team like the Clippers, but the Clippers aren't don't probably don't have the money for that even. And why would you buy in on a player that isn't really helping you win when you're trying to win? Yeah. So yeah, I don't think there's a big market for John Collins. Um, another one from Josh. Um, anyway, uh, Tht uh, Jordan Clarkson and Kelly Olynyk are still on the Jazz after the trade deadline. Uh, I'm mean, yeah, sure, certainly. I mean, the Jazz don't need to make any trades. You can lose with those guys. Yes. That's the that's the nice thing. You're not accidentally winning too many games with those guys on the roster right now. Uh, you can lose as much and as willing as you are, or as as much as you want to, with those guys around. You don't have to play them; they don't have to be starting. Sometimes they rarely play; they can be hurt. So uh, they won't have everybody on the roster by yeah. the end of the season. They will definitely make some trades, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if several of those names are still Jazz men yeah. coming up in March. Which of those three do you think is most likely to get moved? Say the names again: uh, Tht. Jordan Clarkson, Kelly Olynyk, Kelly Olynyk. Okay. He's the I only agree. one who has value. Yeah. Not um, to say Jordan Clarkson doesn't have value. And actually, the nice thing about Jordan is he makes $25 million this year and it drops like $14 million next season. So he has a huge declining contract because of the way that they designed it. It might be like $18 million, but it, it drops money. So, And Jordan Clarkson can help you with A month ago, he was averaging 31.5 points a game for a four-game stretch and, and shooting out of, his, out of his mind. He can help you in the playoffs. Like I, I believe in Jordan Clarkson as an NBA player who can help you win games, actually. Uh, I know exactly how Kelly Olenek fits, though, Yeah, really easily. Kelly Olenek helps every team in the league. We've talked about that a lot. Next up from Jeremy Schaefer, it was a surprisingly good season last year. On paper, it got better and led to optimism, uh, at least for him, for a better record. What's up? Like we said, after the Mike Conley trade, the Jazz were a lot worse last year. So maybe you could specifically look at the second half of the season to sort of see what this uh, year would have been like. Um but also it's just a lot of new players in. Like you have a brand new starting point guard, right? And then there's also been a lot of injuries to start the year. Yeah, a lot of guys are being asked to do things that they've never done before, and it doesn't lend itself to winning. I mean, Keontae George, what was interesting about Monday night's game, 
was that for the first time, because you didn't have Jordan Clarkson out there and you didn't have Kelly Olynyk out there, and I'm talking specifically in the second half when those guys weren't playing, obviously you didn't have Lowry, you didn't have John Collins who was sick, you just didn't have a lot of these veterans, and you kind of just said, hey, Keontae, focus on Keontae and see what you can do, which is what he did in the summer league, and he was awesome. He really took it to the next level, like, and he did it again on Monday night. He didn't have to worry about getting other people involved. He didn't have to worry about being like, well, how do I be a good teammate, and how do I make sure I'm keeping my spot in the pecking order? He didn't do that. He just said, I'm going to worry about Keontae. I'm going to take care of Keontae, and let's see how good I can be, and he took off. So there's value to that, but again, it's the first time he's ever doing this. So he's trying to like even play out of position a little bit with all these veterans on the floor. So he's doing that for the first time. Jordan Clarkson, I know he's pretty good at it last year, but it's like trying to figure out how to be this go-to scorer and not just running a second unit, which is what he's done most of his career. Lowry Markinen, he's not been healthy, is trying to follow up being an all-star and being the top player on a scouting report and facing a different defense every single night that is designed to take him out of the game. And he's still playing well, but it's the first time he's ever done that. Walker Kessler has much higher expectations going into his sophomore season than he did his rookie year so all of these guys are trying something new that they've never really done a lot of and certainly never had success doing in the past, and I think that's why they're playing so bad. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to say you're wrong for being disappointed. There was a pathway where if John Collins had really fit in, Keontae George was ready to play right away, or any of the guards had actually played well. I mean, the Jazz haven't had good guard play at any point. Keontae is playing well for a rookie, but if he was a fifth-year veteran and playing like this, you'd be like, man, this guy is not an NBA player. Like, in all honesty, that's where he is right now. Yeah. Uh, with his negative plus minus and, and, you know, his inefficiency, you'd be like, wow, this guy's really a borderline player. You're just tasting how good he will be in the future, and I think he is going to be very good. But if, if this was who he had been for three or four seasons, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like his production. So, terrible guard play, pretty poor front court play outside of Lowry Markinen. It's just, yeah, it's not a good team. There's everything, basically, that could go wrong has gone wrong. Yes. Um, next up from Joel Hiller. Um, how different would this season realistically look if the team had better luck with health? I like this question because it sort of has two parts. One, of course, you're just having your best talent on the floor every single night, right, if you have perfect health. But also, um, like with Jordan Clarkson, who had a rough start to the year, if he had played every game, he has more time to get back to his former self, right, and the lineups have more time to play together and to mesh. Um, but let's look at the standings, 7-16, uh, and 16. maybe they're closer to 500 with perfect yeah. health, but I, I don't think they're going to be like a... 20 and 2 team with Yeah, they might they might be 11 and 12. Yeah. They might be 10 and 13. I think realistically, which again is funny, that's only three more wins. Yeah. You know, like Walker Kessler struggled early in the season and again it was a bad elbow injury and he's out again right now with the foot soreness and Lowry's been missed eight games. I mean, yeah, you could you could realistically be right there at 11 and 12 and if you were at 11 and 12, you would be the 12th seed in the West. Yeah. And right now the Jazz are the 12th seed in the West. So, <laughs> it, as far as standings go, I'm not sure you're all that much better. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're better than the Warriors just because those guys are healthy. You're not 13-11 where the Pelicans are. You're not 12-10 and 10 where the Suns are. So, standings-wise, you're in the same spot and actually probably in a worse spot when it comes to draft picks at the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, next up from Leo, which path should the Jazz follow? Option one, building around Markinen as a franchise player. Uh, building with Markinen and waiting for a franchise player to come available, or rebuilding and focusing on the development of the young guys. Yeah, and I'm sorry to just ignore Leo's question here, but the truth is, is like, there's no reason to do any of them. Like, we don't know if Lowry Markinen's a franchise piece yet. In fact, it's really stupid to pigeonhole him into being your franchise piece and saying you build around him. Like, you are still just in raw talent acquisition mode. You are just trying to get as many good players as you can and see which one really spikes, and then you're going to build around that player. 
And maybe it's Lowry. He looked like he had the – he's certainly the front runner because of what he did last season. But if another guy comes along, great. That's better. If you draft a player this year that's better than Lowry and looks like he will be pretty quickly, then you switch up that pathway. But you you don't have to be committed to one pathway right now. In fact, I think that would be a really stupid thing to do. That might have been a mistake the Jazz last iteration made, which was they really committed to Donovan Mitchell. And look, Donovan Mitchell was probably good enough to do it. But they said, Donovan's going to be this, and we're going to put all these pieces around him without knowing exactly what he was. And you ended up choosing the wrong path. Like, you shouldn't have gotten Mike Conley. You should have went out and found a bigger player, played Donovan Mitchell at the point guard probably, let him just have the ball in his hands a lot, and then get big, long defensive players around him because you had draft picks and you had young players that you were willing to trade. And they went out and got Mike Conley, which is like, yeah, it did relieve some of the decision-making on Donovan, but I'm not sure that actually ended up being an issue. He would have been better if he just had a bunch of really good defenders around him and can carry an offense by himself in the playoffs like he showed he could do, and you might have won more games. So I would be wary of making that same mistake with Lowry Markin of saying we know what he's going to be, we know how good he's going to be, and we're going to build around him accordingly or give up on him because you don't think he's going to be X, Y, and Z. Yeah. He's good to have around. He seems like a pretty good soldier. He doesn't seem unhappy about where he is right now. He's going to get a huge contract with the Jazz. I would give him a max deal. And if you think that means he's the franchise piece, okay. But I think you could give him a franchise deal, a max deal, and still be able to trade him at any point. Yes. I don't think that hurts you. I think a good example of that is Jalen Brown is the highest played player on the Celtics right now. Right. But we all know Jason Tatum is the best player there. Here's my opinion on Markinen in relation to being on a contending team one day. I sort of see him as like Kevin Love on the Timberwolves. Okay. Right? He was like a all-NBA player then. He played really well near 30-point-per-game seasons, but... When it came time to win a championship, he was the second or third best player on that Cavs team. Right. And that's a round where I see Larry Markkinen being. Like, he can have some success as the best player on a team, but when it comes to getting a ring on your finger, I think he has to be the second or third option. He might be Carl Anthony Towns, who yeah. you've already talked about, which Cat was the number one guy in Minnesota, and they kept trying to build around him, and they kept getting number one overall picks. It was like, because he's not good enough to be a number one overall pick or a number one overall player, a superstar on a winning team. But... If you lose with him, and then all of a sudden you have Anthony Edwards, and you have some of these talented young players, and you can go out and get a free agent or trade for somebody like Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley, and then Carl Anthony Towns is your third best player, you're a pretty good team. So that might be where you are with Lowry Mark. Yes. Uh, next, But up, you don't have to commit to it one way or another. Yes. You don't have to commit to him being the number one guy and only you know, finding pieces that fit well next to him. That, that would be a mistake. Next up from Cam Young, uh, which is more likely, the Jazz trade Simone or extend slash re-sign him? Uh, I think they would look to bring him back. I, yeah. think they like, I think they like what Simone Fontecchio's done. He's played really well. Yeah, and as the Jazz get better, I'm sure his role will probably, like in the upcoming years, if he is sticking around, his, his role will probably get less and less. But I don't see him as anything less than like a 8th through 10th man, like still getting spot minutes coming in, shooting some threes and playing with energy. And I don't know if he's eating up anybody's minutes right now. Yeah. Like if you want to say you'd rather be playing Bryce Sensabaugh than Simone Fontecchio, maybe. But I actually think Bryce is probably more of a 2, and I think Simone's a little bit more of a 3 because he's not really a great ball handler. Uh, but uh, Simone's the type of young player you probably want to keep around for a little bit. And if he ends up building trade value and you get something back for him, good. That was a good signing. Uh, but he costs you very little. I don't think he's going to get a huge contract offer. He'll get some interest around the NBA this offseason, and maybe Simone says, hey, my dream is to win an NBA title, and I don't want to play for the Jazz. I want to go play for you know X, Y, and Z teams. I think I can get part of their mid-level exception and win with. That's possible, but uh, yeah, I don't think you trade him. Yeah, yeah. if you can keep him around, keep him around. 
Uh, last up from Canon Law, um, how have your thoughts on Keontae evolved since he began starting? Uh, based on the limited games we've seen from him, does he have top 100 potential, top 50? What does he need to work on to reach his ceiling? Yes and yes. Top, he certainly has top 50 potential. Uh, I mean, he had 30 points and 7 assists last night. Yeah. There's just not a lot of guys in the league who can do that, and he's doing it at 20 years old and still doesn't really know exactly what his game is going to be. So, I mean, he might be a top 25 player. He honestly yeah. has that type of potential. I'm not ruling that out. It's important to remember, yes, the Jazz drafted him at number 16. He was like the number five person on everybody's board through early January. He has an ankle injury in February and falls off the rest of the year and really was not very good. But, like, go back and look at the tweets a year ago today, December 12th, 2022, and Keontae George. And everyone's like, this dude's for real. He got, guys, he got a seven-figure NIL deal to go play at Baylor. Seven figures. Because they knew he was going to be a real-deal star player and then the injury really kind of derailed that, and Baylor played him out of position. There was all these weird things that went on. But he got paid like a top player in the country to go play at Baylor because the belief is that he's a top, talented player and was, I think, a number five, six overall recruit in the country. Like, it's funny to look at college and be like, you know, it's, it's why I don't buy into this draft talk right now. Like, I saw people saying, like, this call your kid from USC. Oh, he doesn't try that hard on defense. It's like, college is a, is a roadblock for him. Mm-hmm. College is a distraction. He doesn't want to be in college. He's already gotten paid a million dollars, like Keontae George is rumored to have gotten. I've been told he got that much. So he doesn't care about being there. His only goal is to be done with this, be done with school so I can go to the NBA. And then I'm going to start trying, and I'm going to really play hard. And it's really dangerous, I think, to read into what a guy's attitude is in college. And you can't totally dismiss it, but it's really... It can be a difficult thing to do, and it's important to overlook that sometimes or not overlook that sometimes that, like, these guys don't want to be in college. It doesn't mean anything to them. They don't care about these games. They don't care about their teammates. Their coach might be an idiot. The only reason they're playing for that coach is because a, a booster behind the scenes gave them the most money. Yeah. It wasn't about fit at all. Nick Smith Jr. and Anthony Black were top 10 recruits in the country. They both happened to have Arkansas ties, and Arkansas boosters paid them the most money to go there. It wasn't a good fit for either of them. They both played the same position. They went to the same school. Like, that was so stupid. But they got a bunch of money to do it, so it made sense. They just wanted to get rich really quick and then go make their real millions in the NBA, and that's what both of them are doing. Yep. So I would be wary about worrying about what's going on in college with any of these guys. But then as far as, like, trying to figure out what Keontae George's potential is, like, if you were to rewind a year from now or even 16 months when he was going into college— it's not at all a crazy thought that he could have been the third or fourth best player from this draft class at all. Nobody would have been surprised by, surprised by that. But we read into 15 games in college and be like, well, that's probably who he's going to be. It's, it's, it's moronic. It's a moronic way that we look at the draft. So I would not read too much into that. And, yeah, his, his ceiling's through the roof. I mean, I think there's a realistic chance where he's a all-rookie player this year. In fact, I think he's probably going to end up on the all-rookie first team. If not, he will be all-rookie second team. And if he ends up... You know, the fifth best player in this draft class, I won't be surprised yeah. at all. I still think Victor's the favorite. I think Brandon Miller's got great size, and that's going to be advantageous. Keontae's off to as good a start as anybody, and I know people want to say Asar Thompson and all the fun things he does out there. I get it. I, I understand that Asar Thompson's been a somewhat of a revelation in Detroit, and he was a top, what, five overall pick. He went fifth overall. He's averaging 10 points, eight rebounds, two and a half assists, shooting 14% from three. Like, at some point, if you have a flaw that is that fatal, you can no longer be above an X amount good player. Like, yes. Rudy Gobert is such a good player. 
but based on the fact that he cannot catch the ball and turn and put the ball in the hoop, he's never going to be a top 15 player in the NBA. And it looked like he might get there, and the Jazz could do all these things to drop lobs for him and get him to impact the game offensively. But at a certain point, if you can't just do some of the basic things in the NBA that's required, you can't be a top 15 player in the NBA. So Asar Thompson can be a really fun player doing all these other great things, playing defense, blocking shots, getting steals, getting assists, getting rebounds, being this small forward six foot seven unicorn. But if you can't score, which is the only goal in basketball, it's truly it's called the field goal. It's the goal. It's to score the ball. If you can't score, you can only be so good, and you know Keontae can score. Yes. So, like, a lot of the battle's already been won in that sense right now. I'm sorry. That was a bit of a diatribe there. But, yeah, he can be a really good player. Yeah. <laughs> Long story short, he can be really good. Uh, for what he needs to work on, I think two of the major things are just some things that come with time. First up is, like, his body, right, just getting more of an NBA body in, yeah. a, in a point guard role because that will help him defensively especially. Um, and then just, like, basketball IQ, you know, just, like, seeing different defenses for – multiple years in a row and that's just reps yes exactly it's just gonna be well i saw it i've seen this 10 times before i've been blitzed i've been trapped i've you know i've been hedged i've been iced in the pick and roll like i know all these things yeah and i know how to beat it and that's when you turn into shea gilgis alexander that's when you turn into tyrese halliburton like the potential is always there they just finally had the corporate knowledge to know how to beat it here is my keontae george prediction by the 25 26 season he will be in the 8 through 10 range on most top 10 point guard lists. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'll be a top 10 point guard in the league. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Yeah. Yep, I have no problem with that at all. So, yeah, he's going to be really good. I, I I, expect, in all honesty, maybe this is unfair and I'm you know putting the cart before the horse. I, I expect him to be a top 10 point guard in the NBA, which is probably good enough to win with. Yeah. The truth is you need a superstar who's six foot eight or above to win in the league. Like, basically, with the exception of Steph Curry— Look at every championship ever. Yeah. You need a superstar who is six foot eight or taller. I would say, like, that forward role even has to be one of your best players. I think that goes to almost every championship you could look at because even in the uh, 21 Warriors championship or 22, um, Andrew Wiggins was their second best player in the playoffs right. that year. Right. Right, exactly. Um, so I think that that is a very important role. And you have Laurie Markin in there and you need a good ball handler, which is where I think you were going with that. And Keontae George is that for the Jazz. And so, you know, you can go back and say, well, Jordan was 6'6", and Kobe was 6'6", or 6'7". Okay, I mean, that's fine. If you want to say maybe the, the bar is only 6'6", yeah. the league has grown since then. The league is bigger than it used to be in the 90s and the early 2000s, but fine. you got to have a superstar who's 6'6", or bigger. Yep. LeBron, Jason Tatum puts you in that conversation. Kevin Durant has titles for that reason. Kobe didn't even win titles till he had Pau Gasol. Like, you got to have a big guy who is a superstar, and then you have, an, have to have talented enough players around him. Yep. And Keontae George is probably talented enough to be around them. Yep. That's a win. Walker Kessler's not going to be a superstar. Is he a good enough center to be a championship center? He might be because you don't need a dynamite 25 and 10 center to win a title. Actually, those guys don't exist a whole lot anymore. You yeah. don't see them very often. So, yeah, he's good enough. I think he's good enough to be a part of the team long term, and then you hope you still find that other superstar around him. And if he can be a true all-star and a complimentary piece, top 25, even better. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. We will be back on December 19th, a week from today, after a four-game uh, week for the Jazz. Uh, Grin and Barrett, it's about rebuilding and uh, just try and stick around and enjoy the young players developing because I think that is the pathway that you're watching for. Follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Follow Chandler at Chandler Holt KSL. Read us at kslsports.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.